Reason to praise. This is actually the first recorded song in the Bible. And Moses and the children of Israel sang in response for God's deliverance from Pharaoh and his mighty army. You're looking too far for that need you have inside. You're on a big merry-go-round and it's taking you for a ride. You've got to let go and let Welcome to The Cleansing Word. We invite you to stay with us as Pastor John Pinnell of Calvary Chapel Lake Villa takes us through a verse-by-verse study from God's Word. Each Monday through Friday, we'll be airing messages to encourage you in your faith that you might grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I hope that you enjoy this broadcast, and I'll return at the close of this teaching to give you more information about our church and how you can obtain a copy of this message. Now here's Pastor John with today's message from God's Word. We're looking at Exodus chapters 15 and 16 tonight. I titled the overall study, Manna, and we're going to see two big events that play into Uh, The life of Christ, uh, as far as symbolically, can play into the life of Christ. And we'll point those out. But here in Exodus 15, we have the chapter that I titled Mara. And that is a Hebrew word that means bitter or bitterness. And then in chapter 16, we have the bread from heaven. And so we'll be looking at these two major events. But it begins with the song. As Dave was singing that traditional Jewish folk hymn all about the Exodus and basically somewhat falling in line with the Song of Moses and the Song of Miriam, as found in Exodus chapter 15. And as I go through these chapters, I look for a key verse in the chapters themselves. And in Exodus 15, I chose verse 2, which says, The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. That is a great praise, song, or prayer to have in our repertoire of memorized scripture. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will praise him, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. The chapter begins telling us, Then Moses and the children of Israel sang this song to the Lord, and spoke, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and its rider has been thrown into the sea. And so that's... Coming out of chapter 14 into chapter 15, we find that Israel now has totally been delivered from the Egyptians. And God miraculously brought them through the Red Sea. He parted the sea with a strong wind that blew all night and caused the walls of the sea to stand up. 
and the children of Israel to go through on dry ground, and Egypt pursuing them into the sea found a difficulty as the Lord caused their chariot wheels and 600 chariots, chariot wheels to pop off. It says, the Bible says, and they drove their chariots with great difficulty. Well, let me tonight just go out to the parking lot, take all your wheels off your car. It would be great difficulty. And as we know, the Lord covered the Egyptians there in the sea while the children of Israel passed through on dry ground. And so they had reason to sing, reason to praise. This is actually the first recorded song in the Bible. And Moses and the children of Israel sang in response for God's deliverance from Pharaoh and his mighty army. I was listening to the founder of Calvary Chapel. I was working downstairs in the basement here at the church, and I often just listen to teachings or new shows while I'm doing something like that. And I just had Chuck on from probably from, uh, I would say, the 70s, going through the book of Exodus. And uh, he compared the chariots. I said this last week, but this was my source. I heard Pastor Chuck in the recording say it this week. He compared the chariots to a modern-day tank and the power of that weapon in an army of that age. And yet God destroyed the Egyptian army. He devastated them. Psalm 149.1 says, Praise the Lord, sing to the Lord a new song and his praise in the assembly of the saints. The lyrics go with the deliverance that they experience. They just kind of recount the deliverance through the Red Sea and God's victorious might against Egypt in this song itself. He is my God and my father's God. Israel lived in Egypt for, according to the word of God, 430 years. The day that they entered in, the Lord brought them out 430 years to the day. Now, there was a time of peace when you have Joseph, the number two ruler in all of Egypt, bringing his family in. But eventually there was a new pharaoh that arose in Egypt. That's how the Exodus begins, telling us that he did not remember Joseph. So we know that they've been in slavery for generations. And yet, the phrase in this song, He is my God and my Father's God, despite the worldly surroundings where in Egypt they worshipped multitude of gods, they were able to hold on to and pass on their faith from generation to generation. And God had not yet commanded them to do this, except for the covenant that God made with Abraham. And I was thinking in Deuteronomy chapter 6, there'll be the command to teach these things to your children, to your children's children. But God did say to Abraham in Genesis 17, 9 and 10, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your descendants, after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Every male child among you shall be circumcised. 
And they had continued to do this from the time of Abraham until now. We'll discover when they enter into the promised land, one of the first things that the Lord has Joshua to do is to have the men circumcised. They kept the covenant of circumcision the whole time that they were captives in Egypt. But when they got in the wilderness, the parents did not circumcise their sons. They lost a generation there in the wilderness. The parents themselves lost themselves in the wilderness, as we know, as we'll get to that as we continue through this study. But the passing on, the importance for us today to pass on the faith that the Lord has given us to teach our children, recount the stories of salvation. Hey, Papa, how'd you get saved? Well, let me tell you, this is how it went down for me. To pass those things on to our children that they not only see our walk, but they hear the testimonies of the walk that they can also experience a walk with the Lord. So I think that's key. He is my God. He is my Father's God. And it's because the fathers and the mothers were faithful to pass on their faith to their children that the children could sing, He is my God. So in verses 3 through 19, we have the song of Moses. And he asked the question, Who is like the Lord? And if you remember, Pharaoh had asked the question, who is the Lord and why should I listen to him? And God now let him know uh, 10 plagues, the water turning into blood, the serpent being cast down, the rod turning into a snake back into a rod again, the parting of the Red Sea, the Egyptian army being buried in the Red Sea. Egypt knew, but the question is, who is the Lord? Well, first of all, he's a man of war. And verses 3 through 5 tells us, The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his army he cast into the sea. His chosen captains also are drowned in the Red Sea. The depths have covered them. They sank to the bottom like a stone. This is very descriptive of some deep water. Now, there are those who have taught that this was not the Red Sea. It was the Sea of Reeds, and it can dry up, and people can even wade through it to this day. My dad was uh, born in Caven Rock, Illinois. Anybody know where that is? It's on the very uh, tip of Illinois on the Ohio River. And if you ever watch how the West was won and the old Western actor James Stewart gets shanghaied in a cave off the river. That cave is Cave and Rock. There is a cave. They named a town after it. And my dad told me when he was a young boy that he and his brothers waded across the river. It got so drought-like and shallow that they went over to Kentucky. So today, I've never seen the river that dry when I've been down there. But my dad remembered a time when you could wade across and dry ground and patches and make it over. But this sounds like deep water. The depths covered them. They sank to the bottom. If it was only knee deep, as some have tried to suggest, then you would see the dead bodies laying everywhere. It wouldn't be much of a bottom. So it really gives us a sense of deep water. God had promised that he would fight for Israel. Now they witnessed 
this great deliverance. Therefore, he is called a man of war. In Exodus 14, 13, and 14, remember, we learned last week that God had actually led the Israelites to the edge of the sea. There were mountains on either side, the Egyptian army uh, coming up behind them. So they were entrapped. They had nowhere to go. They couldn't escape if they wanted to. And the Lord told Moses that he would deliver them. And Moses said to the people, Exodus 14, 13, and 14, Do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall see again no more. The Lord will fight for you, and you shall hold your peace. Perhaps that is why they called the Lord a man of war. They didn't have to. They didn't have weapons to raise up. All they had was uh, maybe some uh, farm implements and farm equipment. They had no weapons to raise up. God fought for them. They talk about in the next section, God's right hand in verses 6 and 7. Your right hand, O Lord, has become glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, has dashed the enemy in pieces. And in the greatness of your excellence, you have overthrown those who arose against you. You sent forth your wrath. It consumed them like stubble. So the right hand, when speaking about God, a king, or even a an individual in the Bible, when talking about strength, the right hand of strength, of power, of might, Pharaoh had pursued Israel. And the children of Israel understood that Egypt actually battled against the Lord. Though they were pursuing Israel, they understood that it was the Lord's battle. Therefore, God overthrew those who rose up against him. As it says in verse 7, you have overthrown those who rose up against you. Israel understood that the battle was the Lord's. He was the man of war. His right hand, his power, his might, his strength. Saul, before he became the apostle Paul, he learned this lesson as well. For when he came against the Lord's church, it was the Lord Jesus Christ who blinded him in a great light, threw him to the ground. And in Acts 9-4, Jesus said to Saul, 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 why are you persecuting me? Saul was persecuting the Christian church at the time. Uh, they hadn't even been called Christians at this point, but he was persecuting the way. He was persecuting the believers of Jesus Christ. And Jesus took it personally. Saw, saw, why are you persecuting me? Egypt was pursuing the children of Israel, and God took it personally. And Israel understood that they're actually coming against you. When there is an attack against a church in the United States today, that attack may physically be upon the building, upon its people that come to worship in the church, but ultimately it's against the Lord Jesus Christ. It's an attack against our faith and in him of whom we believe. So he talked about the Lord being a man of war, his right hand. Now God's mighty blast, verses 8 through 10. 
And with the blast of your nostrils, the waters were gathered together. The flood stood up like a heap. The depths congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue, I will overtake, I will divide my spoil. My desire shall be satisfied on them. I will draw my sword and my hand shall destroy them. You blew with your wind, the sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Once again, we have this even mighty waters, churning waters, uh, sinking like lead. We have this sense of a very deep portion of water that they went through. But the Egyptians boasted in their flesh They desired to overtake, to divide spoil, to destroy Israel, but they were the ones who were destroyed. Therefore, Moses glorified God's present work in the children of Israel. The psalmist recorded this in Psalm 78, 13. He said, He divided the sea, caused them to pass through. He made the water stand up like a heap. That's amazing to contemplate. Water standing up like a heap. A strong east wind blew all that night at the blast of God's nostrils as they are relating this to the Lord himself. Now, we see a very physical representation. I think if uh, we were watching Greek mythology, some movie or something, you might see a a god in Greek mythology blow on a sea and destroy some traveler there. And we have this sense being played out for us here in the Old Testament, but we find it in the New Testament as well. In 2 Thessalonians 2.8, And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. So we have this visual again of the breath. But I understand also that there is a breath that the word of God being spoken forth, it can bring life or it can bring destruction. The word of God tells us in John 20, verse 22, that Jesus breathed on his disciples and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Jesus's breath brought life, breathed life into the disciples themselves. The breath of God breathed life into humanity when he created Adam and Eve there in the garden. For believers, the breath of Jesus brings the peace of Jesus upon our lives. He seals us with the Holy Spirit. He commissions us to share the gospel with others. The same breath that can bring destruction and brought destruction upon Egypt, brought life to Israel, and that same breath today can bring life to us through faith in Jesus Christ. So who is like the Lord, they ask. Their songs still. Another stanza, verses 11 through 13 Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, glorious in holiness, fearful in praise, doing wonders? You stretched out your right hand. The earth swallowed them. You and your mercy have led forth the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them with your strength to your holy habitation. So who is like the Lord? Nobody, no other God. There is none who is like the Lord. That was the question. Pharaoh asked, and 
Exodus 5, 2. Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I don't know the Lord, nor will I let Israel go. Well, God let Pharaoh know that he is the Lord. But what brought destruction to Egypt brought life to Israel. Therefore, they praised the Lord, their words, who is glorious in holiness, fearful in praise, doing wonders. They were delivered by mercy and strength. God redeemed and guided the children of Israel. In Isaiah fifty-seven fifteen, speaking of the Lord himself, the high and holy one, and the word tells us, for thus says the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with him who has a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble, to revive the heart of the contrite ones. So the Lord's holy habitation in the context of Exodus 15, it's talking about heading to the promised land that he was going to bring them into the holy habitation in the promised land. As it says in Psalm seventy-eight fifty-four, he brought them to his holy border, to this mountain at which his right hand had acquired. The mountain, I think, referring to the place where the temple, the tabernacle, and the temple ultimately set there in Jerusalem, But ultimately, that holy habitation speaks about the promise of God through Jesus Christ and that heavenly reward that he has for each of us. And the promise of Jesus in John 14, 2 and 3, in my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would not have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, you may also be. My mind, being a tradesman for a number of years in my life, the Lord's saying, I'm going to build a mansion. I'm thinking, Lord, if it's taking about 2,000 years, it's going to be quite a place that you're building for us. The spiritual side of it, I think the Lord waits because he's waiting for others to come to faith in him before he brings about his second coming and what we read about in the end time events in scripture. But also they talk about the people hearing in verses 14 through 17. So, so far it's been between God, Egypt, and Israel, but other nations will hear as well. The people will hear and be afraid. Sorrow will take hold of the inhabitants of Philistia. So the Philistines, the chiefs of Edom, the Edomites, will be dismayed. The men of Moab, the Moabites, trembling will take hold of them. All the inhabitants of Canaan will melt away. Fear and dread will fall on them. By the greatness of your arm, they will be as still as stone. Tell your people pass over. O Lord, tell your people pass over whom you have purchased. You will bring them in and plant them in the mountain of your inheritance. In the place, O Lord, which you have made for your own dwelling, the sanctuary, O Lord, which your own hands have established. Now, the tabernacle hasn't even been 
made yet, but they're already singing about the sanctuary of the Lord, the dwelling place of God. So the destruction of Egypt stood as a testimony to other nations, causing them to tremble, to fear, to be in dread as the children of Israel came to possess the land of promise. And we read about this 40 years later when Joshua takes two spies into Jericho. Joshua 2.9, the harlot Rahab tells the two spies, I know that the Lord has given you the land, that the terror of you has fallen on us, that all the inhabitants of the land are faint-hearted because of you. For we have now heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for when you came out of Egypt. So 40 years later, the people of Jericho said, we heard how God dried up the Red Sea. Today, we have those who try to take away from the miracles of the Bible. I doubt that the people of Jericho would have been afraid of God if people would have waded through a shallow sea, the Sea of Reeds, as they might say today. There was something that caused the other nations to fear, and that something is our mighty God. I should say the someone. Calvary Chapel is a fellowship of believers in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Our greatest desire is to know Christ and to be conformed into His image by the power of His Holy Spirit. If you would like more information about Calvary Chapel, or if you would like a copy of today's message, please contact us at 847-265-0646. That's 847-265-0646. Thank you so much for joining us today. And may the Lord richly bless you as you worship Him today. And let God...